Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Andy Farnsworth from KSL News Radio and KSL's Fan Effect Podcast. I'm also the movies and pop culture guy for KSL 5 today, and this is my review of The Suicide Squad from Warner Brothers and DC Comics. Five years ago, Warner Brothers and DC Comics released a movie about a group of imprisoned supervillains who are sent on a black ops mission to stop something even worse than they are. If they survived the mission, they got to have time reduced from their prison sentences, but it was more likely they wouldn't survive, hence the nickname given to the team, Suicide Squad. With the exception of a couple of well-known villains, the team was mostly characters only the most hardcore fans of comics had even heard of, yet the movie managed to earn almost $750 million worldwide despite critics panning it, though I liked it okay, and the director complaining that it wasn't the version of the movie he wanted to make. So now it's 2021, and DC has decided to give The Suicide Squad another go, this time bringing in a highly successful Marvel movie director, James Gunn of Guardians of the Galaxy fame. He was given almost carte blanche to do what he wanted, and from the looks of it, that's just what he did. Whatever he wanted, with no restraint. This version of Suicide Squad is apparently a sequel to the 2016 version, though there's only indirect mentions of the events from that film. Government agent Amanda Waller, played again by Viola Davis, is putting together another team of misfits from the Bell Rev prison, which supposedly has the highest mortality rate in this fictional version of the USA. The group is needed to go into a fictional jungle country called Corto Maltese on a search-and-destroy mission. Asked to lead the team is Bloodsport, played by Idris Elba, who only goes to agree when, uh, agrees to go when Waller threatens to have his daughter thrown into prison if he doesn't help. The rest of the team includes characters with names like Captain Boomerang, Ratcatcher 2, Savant, King Shark, Blackguard, Javelin, TDK, Weasel, Polka Dot Man, I swear I'm not making these up. Peacemaker, and likely the only name you might recognize, Harley Quinn. Now, for those of you who want to avoid spoilers, I won't reveal any more of the plot other than to say that there's more to the mission than the characters are told about. There always is, isn't there? And that you should be prepared for some seriously weird stuff. I gotta be honest, there wasn't much that I enjoyed about the Suicide Squad. Though I expected it to be violent given its R rating, I was surprised just how violent and gory it got. Plus, I had hoped that the same guy who gave us the funny and likable Guardians of the Galaxy, another team of people nobody had heard of before, would be able to create that same dynamic again. To be fair, Gunn did try for the people-on-a-life-or-death mission or like a family vibe, but it just didn't land for me. I also feel that uh, there were some visually impressive moments and artistic cinematic touches. One scene in particular comes to mind. Two characters fight, and we're watching it off the reflection of a chrome helmet on the ground. 
Individual characters were funny, like Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn. John Cena also nailed the so overly serious that it's funny character Peacemaker, and he gets some of the best lines. Plus, King Shark, a guy who's got a tough hide and sharp teeth, but not very much in the way of brains, also had moments that I enjoyed. At the same time, I thought the trailer gave away too many of the movie's funny moments. The Suicide Squad was also far too violent and gory for my tastes. It is rated R for that violence and gore as well as strong language and nudity. Not helping things is the fact that I didn't get to know enough about most of the characters to care about them. So I didn't feel connected to what they did nor felt bad if they died. And believe me, lots of people die in this movie. Main characters, side characters, background characters, they all go out in a variety of horrific ways. Director Gunn said he determined very early on that every single character would be in real danger, no matter how big the name actor who was playing them, with no rules imposed upon who survives and who doesn't. Yet, at no point of the movie did I think, for example, that Harley Quinn wasn't going to survive. So killing off people I've never heard of before and don't care about doesn't make me feel like the stakes are very high. For me, I give the movie one out of four stars. I didn't feel that some imaginative visuals and the occasional funny visual gags or verbal exchanges was able to balance the -the over-the-top violence and gore. Now, let me be clear, I have no doubt there will be people who like this movie. However, I can't personally recommend The Suicide Squad to anyone outside of the most hardcore comic book fans in general and DC Comics fans in particular. I have no desire to see this movie again. The Suicide Squad is playing in theaters everywhere on the big screen and streaming free to subscribers to HBO Max until September 6th. This is my review of Vivo from Sony Pictures Animation and Netflix. Vivo, the new animated musical from Netflix and Sony Pictures Animation, is another movie that was originally supposed to be released in theaters but eventually moved to streaming thanks to the COVID pandemic. Lin-Manuel Miranda started writing the songs for Vivo back in the late 2000s and originally was going to make the movie with DreamWorks Animation, the people who did Kung Fu Panda, The Croods, and Madagascar. But DreamWorks dropped the project back in 2015, and it was eventually picked up by Sony, whose other animated successes are Hotel Transylvania, Open Season, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. This is the second consecutive Sony animated movie to go straight to Netflix, joining this year's earlier success, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. As for Vivo, the film is named after its main character, who is voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Vivo looks like a monkey, but he's actually a rainforest mammal called a kinkajou. Vivo belongs to an elderly musician named Andres, and the two play their music together each day in a lively square in Havana, Cuba. One day, Andres gets a letter from a famous singer in Miami named Marta, uh, voiced by Gloria Estefan. She asks him to come play with her in the final concert of her career, since the two used to be partners before Marta made it big. Unfortunately, a tragedy prevents Andres from going to see Marta himself, so it's up to Vivo to deliver her the song Andres wrote especially for her. Helping Vivo along the way is an energetic 13-year-old Gabby, a girl who matches the, marches to the beat of her own drum, uh, much to the exasperation of her widowed mom, voiced by Zoe Saldana. Vivo's a fun and beautiful movie with vibrant colors, catchy music, and likable characters. As I mentioned earlier, Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote the songs alongside composer and orchestrator Alex Lockamore, who also helped write the songs for Hamilton in the Heights and Dear Evan Hansen. Not a bad resume. They've created an energetic, Latin-filled, toe-tapping, and energetic sound with some songs that will definitely get stuck in your head, especially if your kids watch this one on endless repeat, which they might. Some of it seems a little similar to Hamilton in the Heights, but it's the same team, so no surprise. 
I mean, some of John Williams' Harry Potter stuff sounds a little like some of his Star Wars stuff, too, but that doesn't make it any less enjoyable. I like the different animation styles you see throughout, not just the 3D computer animation, but occasionally in musical sequences it changes to uh, styles to 2D and retro, which I understand is a nod to Fantasia and how each musical piece in that movie had a slightly different animation style as well. The characters are all pretty fun and unique as well, along with Vivo and Gabby. You'll also meet a python who lives in the Everglades and is voiced by Michael Rooker. A couple of lovesick and awkward birds and some well-meaning but a little overzealous Girl Scout-type troopers who think they're helping Vivo but are actually preventing him from completing his mission. And I really like that Vivo was an original story. It was co-written by Kiara Alegria Hoods, who helped write In the Heights, and Kirk D'Amico. D'Amico also co-directed the movie. It had a wonderful message about music, about the amazing things you can create when you work with someone else, and how there's hope in overcoming the difficulty and moving on when you lose someone you love. Vivo is rated PG, and there's nothing offensive in it at all. The big evil-looking python might scare the littlest ones a tiny bit, but even then, I think they'll probably be okay. The runtime comes in at a reasonable one hour and 43 minutes. Yes, it's a musical, and some people don't like musicals, but for some reason, many people who... Those same people seem to be less bothered when it's an animated musical, so, you know, that should help. Truth is, though, I really, really enjoyed watching Vivo. It was full of fun and color, international flavor, and imaginative designs and characters. It's a wonderful animated musical for the whole family to enjoy. I give it an enthusiastic three out of four stars. Though I'm sure Vivo would have looked fantastic on the big screen where it was originally planned to be, it is a streaming-only release now, and it is exclusive to Netflix. If, for some reason, you do not know how to sign up for Netflix, there's a link down at the bottom of the page you're watching this video on. And thanks for watching me. I hope you and your family found this review helpful, and I invite you to check out some of my other in-depth reviews of movies and streaming TV shows available on ksltv.com. I'll see you there. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.